Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello, this is Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor of Chemical Watch, welcoming you to this week's news podcast hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. We aim to take you a little further behind the headlines and provide you with fresh insight into developments in the world of chemicals management. For today's episode, I'm joined from the US by Emerging Markets reporter Ginger Harvey, and from the UK by science editor Andrew Turley and business editor Lee Stringer. We have three developments we'll be focusing on today. Firstly, we'll be hearing more about plans in Ghana to consult this autumn on a draft comprehensive chemicals bill that would require companies to register all industrial and consumer chemicals in the country and would give the agency authority to ban chemicals that pose unnecessary harm. Secondly, We'll be taking a look at the European Commission's plans to introduce new categories for substances of very high concern under REACH for chemicals which are persistent, mobile and toxic, or very persistent and very mobile, also known as PMTs and VPVMs. And finally, we will be discussing the significance of the announcement from technology giant HP Inc that 98.5% of the total weight of all its products consists of substances considered by the NGO-led Chemical Footprint Project to be safer alternatives to chemicals of high concern. So let's begin with the developments in Ghana. So Ginger, um, what do we know so far about the details of the draft bill? And can you tell us what are the main outcomes the authorities are aiming to achieve through its implementation? Hi, Kate. Sure. Uh, So the bill is really in early stages. The Environmental Protection Agency of Ghana has drafted it, and it's gone through a first round of legal checks at the government, but it's still in development. So far, it looks like it's been modeled after Ghana's pesticides law which requires companies to provide a fair bit of detail about any substances they want to produce or import into the country. And then the EPA decides whether to grant registration for those substances. There's also a list of banned pesticides. And in this draft chemicals bill, there's currently a a blank page that says a list of banned industrial or consumer chemicals. So we can expect that to to be filled out as the development of the bill progresses. As for the the main outcomes that the government is looking for, obviously the the main one is to protect human health and the environment in the country. But beyond that, there's also been a push internationally for countries, developing countries especially, to really know which chemicals they have on their market. And many of them don't right now. Ghana is one of the fastest growing economies in Africa. And its government has raised this issue before that they don't know all of the substances that are being brought into the country. So this law would help remedy that. Great, thanks, Ginger. So from what we know so far, uh, what will be the key impacts, uh, do you think, on importers and manufacturers of chemicals? Uh, 
Sure. Well, we don't know exactly what the requirements will be yet or the degree to which the burden of proof will be on companies to show that their substances are, are safe. Um, I was told by a government official who's working on the draft that the goal is to have companies prove the substances they're bringing in don't pose unnecessary harm to the environment. But what exactly will constitute unnecessary harm, that isn't clearly defined yet. It looks like companies should expect that they will, in the next few years, need to register all of the substances they import or produce in Ghana. And if they don't already comply with GHS, the globally harmonized system for classifica classification and labeling of chemicals, um, they should, because it looks like that will be a requirement as well. Another interesting bit in the draft is it, it says when considering whether to grant a registration for a given chemical, the EPA will consider how companies plan to dispose of that substance or to treat it safely after it's been used. So you can expect companies to need to have a plan for that if they want to be granted registration. So that's what we know so far. But as I said, there are several aspects that still haven't been addressed in the draft. Um, one of those is fees for registration. We don't know how much it will cost for each substance, and that's something that will be dealt with by Parliament and by the government as the, as the bill progresses. Um, penalties also. Uh, it will be, it looks like a criminal offense to break the law, but Currently in the draft, there's kind of blank spots for what fines and how much imprisonment time that would carry for breaking the law. And finally, we don't know what, if there will be a transition period from when the bill is adopted to when companies need to have filed these registration dossiers. Uh, again, Sam Adukumi, the Chemicals Center Director at Ghana's EPA, and he's the government official who's, who's really spearheading this, um, he said that could be discussed in public consultation. Great, thanks, Ginger. So, um, what are the next steps? Uh, like, like I said, it's early stages and it's a long way to go before it's passed or in force. Um, the draft is being reviewed now by the UN Special Program, which is a, a program at the UN that provides uh, advice and sort of you know technical expertise to developing countries that are working on their chemicals frameworks. The goal right now, according to Dr. Adukumi, uh, is to publish the draft in the third quarter of this year, and then it will go through public consultation, then it will go to the president's cabinet, and then finally it will go on to Ghana's parliament for discussion. Okay, thank you, Ginger. So now let's turn our attention to persistent mobile and toxic substances. Andrew, can you um, just talk us through, first of all, exactly what these are? Um, and then, you know, why is the European Commission planning measures to address them? Okay, so legislation in various regions addresses the risks of PBTs and VPVBs, which are first persistent bioaccumulative and toxic substances, and second, very persistent, very bioaccumulative substances. Under EU REACH, for example, PBTs and VPBBs are a distinct category for identification of substances of very high concern, or SVHCs. These substances are referred to in legislation outside the EU as well, and most of our listeners will be familiar with the designations, I think. 
in recent years, scientists and NGO <coughs> in recent years, scientists and NGOs have raised concern that legislation is not fully protecting human health and the environment from an important category of substances that pose a closely related risk. Those are uh, substances that are persistent and possibly also toxic, but crucially mobile rather than bioaccumulative. That means that they don't have that tendency to build up in organisms, but they do have a tendency to move around a lot in environmental media. When you combine that mobility with persistence, you get a category of chemicals that may be released in a highly localized setting, but subsequently crop up all over the world, presenting a risk to water sources in particular. Now, if that description sounds familiar, it's probably because it applies to one of the classes of chemicals about which we've been talking a lot, per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFASs, which are both highly persistent and highly mobile. However, it's important to note that PMTs and VPVMs are not just PFASs. Uh, they include many other types of chemicals as well. So last year, an initiative led by the German Environment Agency, UBA, uh, finalized a set of criteria for identifying PMTs and VPVMs. Over 100 scientists representing regulatory agencies, academia and industry approved the final report of that initiative. And the idea of implementing these criteria under REACH in some way or another has the support of multiple member states. Now we're getting a glimpse of what position the Commission might take. Okay, thanks Andrew. So, um, what, what has the Commission actually said? Officially, and this is uh, very important, officially the Commission hasn't said anything, but Chemical Watch has seen an unpublished draft communication document on the upcoming EU chemical strategy for sustainability. That document was circulated in June. It's not final and it is very much subject to change before publication, which is expected in the autumn, but nevertheless it is very interesting. Um, what it says is that the Commission will propose PMTs and VPVMs as categories of SVHCs under REACH. What does that really mean? Well, Article 57 of REACH, which deals with identification of SVHCs, makes direct reference to some hazardous chemicals, namely carcinogens, mutagens and reprotoxins, which are collectively CMRs as well as PBTs and VPVBs. Those are comparatively straightforward to address because the legal text is explicit about them. Other chemicals can still be identified as SVHCs, but only on a case-by-case -case basis and by reference to equivalent level of concern, which is a rather nebulous concept and makes this part of REACH much less straightforward. So it seems as if the Commission is planning to put PMTs and VPVMs on a par with CMRs, PBTs and VPVBs. Okay, so what would be the implications of that? First, obviously, it opens up the more straightforward SVHC mechanism to uh, more chemicals. Last year, an investigation by scientists at the Norwegian Geotechnical Institute 
identified 260 REACH registered substances meeting the PMT and VPVM criteria. That number includes 122 that should be prioritized for further investigation in relation to potential risk management. That's going to bring up some big discussions. Industry has been critical of the UBA criteria, and Sefik has said that they could lead to unnecessary regulation. One of the key sore points is the way in which mobility is defined in the criteria. There's an industry project run by ECTOC that is analyzing monitoring data, the results of which are expected by the end of this year. And then after that, if despite any objections from stakeholders, the EU pushes ahead with this, uh, there are details to sort out, such as what new data might be required from REACH registrants. If you've got to change the standard information requirements in the annexes, for example, that's another big decision. But you've also got to expect impacts outside the EU. The draft communication document also talks about proposing hazard classes and criteria in the GHS to, quote, fully address environmental toxicity, persistency, mobility, and bioaccumulation. That would mean mobility becoming a kind of foundational hazard concept, not only in the EU, but also potentially globally. Okay, thanks very much, Andrew. So finally, let's turn to the world of business and the implications of technology company HP Inc's announcement that almost all of its products by weight consist of safer alternatives. Lee, tell us more. Yes, thanks, Kate. So, so this announcement came from HP Inc's 2019 Sustainable Impact Report, um, which the company released last month. Now, as you mentioned, Kate, the company says that 98.5% of the total weight of all of its products consist of substances considered by the NGO-led Chemical Footprint Project, which I'll explain a bit about in a moment, um, to be safer alternatives to chemicals of high concern. So what the company's actually done here is it's determined the weight of the chemicals of high concern used in all products shipped throughout the year. And it's then divided that by the total weight of all products shipped. So it's been left with this 1.5% by weight of its products um, that it says contains chemicals of high concern. Now, it's important to know that this is an average for all the products. Uh, and so the weights of chemicals of high concern will vary by product. Now, I'll highlight two important factors here. HP is a signee of the NGO-led Chemical Footprint Project, or CFP, which is managed by the US NGO Clean Production Action. And this project uh, it aims to help corporations measure their progress on transitioning to safer chemicals. And it does this by encouraging brands, manufacturers, and retailers uh, to answer a 19-question survey. It then evaluates their chemicals management policies and practices based on the answers to the questions, um, which kind of cover management strategy, chemical inventory, footprint measurement, and public disclosure and verification. Um, from there, uh, the CFP gives the company a score. Now, the CFP encourages signees to measure their chemical footprint by total mass weight, so hence why HP has um, done it this way and, and announced the results. Um, the next factor is, well, how is a chemical of concern defined, a uh, chemical of high concern defined? Um, what has HP actually been substituting? Well, the CFP defines a chemical of high concern 
as a substance that meets any of the following criteria. So carcinogenic, mutagenic or toxic to reproduction, CMR, persistent, bioaccumulative and toxic, PBT, uh, any other chemical for which there is a scientific there is scientific evidence of probable serious effects to human health or the environment that give rise to an equivalent level of concern. And it gives the example of endocrine disruptor or neurotoxicant um, or a chemical that when broken down results in a chemical of high concern that meets any of the above criteria. So quite a, a wide array of uh, substances there. Okay, thanks Lee. Some interesting work there by HP, um, but can you just tell us more about this 1.5%? Um, what's been the challenges of phasing out the remaining chemicals of high concern? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question and one we did put to HP. Um, I mean, the company has achieved a number of phase outs since the early 1990s, including beryllium, um, hexavalent chromium, brominated and chlorinated flame retardants from external plastic casing. Um, certain phthalate, phthalates from cables, packaging and other materials. Um, however, the company does note that some remaining uses which make up the 1.5% by weight still do contain these um, chemicals of high concern, uh, including mercury in bulbs and cadmium in industrial printers. Um, but it did say uh, that the challenges in phasing out the remaining uses uh, of chemicals of high concern include a lack of viable alternatives, something that we hear a lot at Chemical Watch, um, and where it can influence and work with its supply chain without strong business drivers such as regulation, especially where the alternatives prove more costly. Um, it also said that it focused on making changes where there are viable alternatives and for those areas that have the biggest positive impact. Uh, and it gave some specific examples such as phasing out halogenated flame retardants, PVC, phthalates, beryllium and solvent-based process chemicals. It actually went a bit deeper um, and gave some very specific examples and, and it said all electronics products still have products which claim ROS exemptions, ROS being the EU's uh, restriction on hazardous substances for uh, electricals and electronics uh, or reach candidate list substances when there is no current viable alternative. For example, many products still contain some amount of lead used in specialised applications that are allowed under ROS exemptions. Uh, and it also said that ethylene glycol dimethyl ether is used in all coin cell batteries for which there is no known replacement. Um, also, many components used in HP's products are used across the industry. So things like capacitors, memory devices, connectors. Um, so its suppliers won't typically make changes if it's only HP asking and if there's no, no regulation that requires them to do so. Right, okay. And as a seemingly progressive company, you know, what's what's driving this effort from HP? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's always interesting to find out what's behind this work. So HP says, um, I mean, it's been a, a, a CFP signee since its inception in 2015 uh, and is therefore, you know, heavily invested in the work required. And I think it's fair to say that it's one of the major technology companies leading the sector on chemicals management. Um, but we did ask the company specifically, you know, what's driving this? Why is it important to the company? And it told us that the business case and drivers for ensuring its products are free from these chemicals of high concern include things like eco-labels such as uh, EP in the US and TCO, uh, customer and market demand, which we hear more and more about, uh, and ratings and rankings. So things like the Dow Jones Sustainability Index and the CFP, of course. Um, 
So it's clear that recognition from labels and rankings, you know, clearly helps increase a company's market share, uh, and it and it improves the reputation of the company, which leads to uh, customer trust. It's also worth noting um, that the sector in general is making some fairly big strides together to addressing chemicals of concern. Um, we've reported on on many other companies, uh, and and this week we reported on uh, a U.S. multi-stakeholder group which is starting a program in October that aims to protect workers from hazardous chemicals along the electronic supply chain. This group uh, called the Clean Electronics Production Network, or CEPN, comprises of the US EPA, uh, major electronics companies, including HP Inc, Intel and Dell, uh, but also academia, NGOs and other stakeholders. Um, so a big project going on there. And also, you know, uh, some of the big electronics companies are putting in place some quite strict requirements for their suppliers. The likes of Intel, for example, uh, recently uh, put in um, requirements for their suppliers to carry out alternatives assessments. Uh, so, so a lot happening in this this area. So watch this space. Great, thanks, Lee. That's it for today. So thank you again to Ginger, Andrew and Lee for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to our audience for listening to today's episode. We hope you found it valuable. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. We hope you can join us again for next week's news podcast. Until then, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.